and welcome to the National Capital Bible Church for our Bible study in Deuteronomy. We are in chapter 11. We should finish chapter 11 tonight as we move through Deuteronomy. We also are thankful that we're able to be here. There are times there are some churches that are still closed or are limited, but I'm thankful for those who are here and those who are online. We pray, Father, that this will be able to to continue to proceed and even draw others to us. As we take a few seconds here before we begin our study, we know that the Lord is my light and my salvation, or we would say my deliverance. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? That's from Psalm 27, verse 1. Let's take a few seconds, closing our eyes, bowing our heads. This is our time for confession of sins and also shedding the pressures of the day and enjoying the Word of God as God speaks to us through Moses' book of Deuteronomy. So let's go to prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your remarkable grace towards us. We're thankful for the Word of God, your Word. We're thankful that God the Holy Spirit ministry to the authors in the inspiration of them. And we're also thankful, Father, that we have the preserved Word, that we are not guessing or wondering or trying to prepare something that is uh, on the mind of an individual. But, Father, we have your word. We pray that your word would guide us tonight as we are in Deuteronomy 11. We're thankful for the start that we had last week. And we pray, Father, that what is being taught to the second generation of Israelites would be uh, understood and we would understand the application that should be ours as well. And so we ask for God the Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, to carry us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in the the book of Deuteronomy, as I said. We're in that particular part that is dealing with chapter 6 through chapter 11. We call it the Great Commands and Warning section, 11 through 11, meaning to the end of chapter 11, which is going to be verse 32 of chapter 11. We've seen the command to love the Lord in chapter 6. We've seen the holy war in chapter 7. We've also seen a warning against an attitude of neglect in chapter 8. In chapters 9 through 10, a part of chapter 10, we see a warning against a spirit of self-righteousness. 
And that was one of the problems that Israel had, self-righteousness. But we don't think of Israel in a critical way because we have the same problem. And that's why the Old Testament is really written for us, not just so we have a historical an account of Israel, but we can learn from their lives. We also now are concluding this exhortation to total commitment to the Lord. We started this in GS chapter 10, 12 to 1132. And when we finish this tonight, chapter 11 tonight, next week we'll begin the larger section of Deuteronomy, which is the development of the covenant fellowship, the relationship that God had with Israel. We call the covenant, the covenant relationship. And we'll see that next week. Last week, we also saw a breakdown of these parts of the great commands and warnings, chapter 6 through 11. We saw a concluding exhortation to total commitment to the Lord, beginning in chapter 10, verse 12 through 1132. And now we've broken it down to several parts. We see an exhortation to love the Lord because of Israel's selection, 10 to 22, an explanation to love the Lord because of his powerful deeds, 11, 1 through 17. Last week, we began a, a call to obey God's commands for longevity in the land. We started with uh, verse 8, or excuse me, we went through to uh, verse 17 so that tonight we can finish this. We'll see not only the last part of point C here, but also the blessings and curses on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, which I find to be a very remarkable uh, event. And we'll see that in verses 26 through 32. All right. Again, last night we studied down to verses 18 in chapter 18. And what I would like to do before we jump into verse 18 is to return to verse 13 and read 13 through 17 because that's part of the context that we have for verse 18 and following. So, verse 13, Deuteronomy 11, verse 13, and it shall be that if you earnestly obey. In other words, earnest obeying here can also be described as listening, hearing, obeying. And it says earnestly. We'll see this combination of the same verb. It adds intensity to being obedient. My commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. Then, in other words, we saw, if you earnestly obey, now beginning verse 14, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, 
the early rain and latter rain, that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your oil. This is olive oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart, your soul, be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. That was what we're going to see tonight. One of the distractions in Israel's life. They would neglect God, and in neglecting him, they would also be lured to the the religions that they found in the land. So it says, take heed to yourselves, lest you serve, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. They were to serve God, Yahweh, and worship him. Verse 17, lest the Lord's anger, his justice, be roused against you, and he shut up the heavens, so that there is no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Now verses 18, and we'll read down to verse 21, to include 21. Therefore... You shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the the earth. That last phrase is translated a little differently in different versions. Just a little bit of an intro tonight as we begin this section. Moses completes this section, the section of 10, 10, 12 through 11.32. He ends this section with a very, very forceful statements. Idolatry had become a strong temptation for Israel. The 400 years in Egypt had made a definite impression on Israel. They had exhibited a weakness for the idols that they found in Egypt. And for uh, the next uh, centuries, we could say, uh, and beyond, this continued to be one of their weaknesses. Of course, the rest of the world also followed idols. But Israel had a God who loved and provided for them. Other nations did not have that same type of relationship with God, but Israel did. And so this is more serious than it would be for other nations. Maybe it was because he, God, was invisible, and visible gods seemed to be easier to 
to worship. Remember, they would make these gods and then they would worship them. Whatever the reason, Israel was vulnerable to idols. Sadly, we are also vulnerable to to idols. We just do not use the same objects normally. There are some religions that still do, that will have images of Mary or images of Jesus. And while an image of Jesus can be fine as long as the idol, the image is not worshipped. So sadly, we also are vulnerable to idols. We just don't use the same objects. And our idols cause us to neglect God and to occupy ourselves with other objects that distract us from God. And while we may not have certain images, we have other distractions, whether it happens to be uh, fame or it happens to be financial or it happens to be uh, something else that causes us to be distracted. It's God that needs to be our focus. So verse 18, verse 18, Therefore you shall lay up, and the word here to lay up in my New King James Version could also be translated that you you shall set or you shall place these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign, as reminders, I think is a better word, reminders on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. Now, this may sound familiar to you because we read and studied these concepts in chapter 6, 6 through 9. Just lean back, uh, turn back a few pages, and we'll see this in Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 6. And so Moses is reminding the second generation about these uh, these uh, commands. Verse 6, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, in other words, in your mind. You shall teach them. And I told you, at the time that the word used here for teach means to sharpen. So they teach the uh, commands. They teach God's word. And then they continue to teach. And it's like sharpening a hoe or a knife or another implement. So it says, you shall teach, you shall sharpen them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign, as a reminder on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, whether they actually did, I think, is questionable. The Israelites, the second generation, as they were traveling, of course, they didn't have uh, doorposts and they didn't have gates. And so 
I believe this is the best way to understand this is that they were figures of speech saying it has to be part of every minute of your life, every day. And if you were to put memory verses on your door, well, that's fine. But the idea here is that the Word of God is part of your life. All right. Back to uh, verse 18. Moses' directives, as I've said, I believe, were figures of speech. Because never in the Bible or even later in history do we actually find reminders on the hands or the frontlets on the forehead. Another way we know that these are figures of speech is because the first example is to place words in the heart. So how are we going to place them physically in the heart? How physically might that be accomplished? Later, they became physical actions by those trying to impress God with outward legal demonstrations. Moses is using these phrases to emphasize his teaching. In other words, obey as if you had the reminders on the hand or the frontlets between your eyes or on your doorposts. That's what he's saying. Obey as if. Verse 19, you shall teach. And the word here for teach, lamad, is correctly translated, you shall learn. But the basic word means to exercise. And therefore, we see the same understanding here. In Deuteronomy, you are to teach, you are to sharpen. Repetition is the idea. And here we have the same idea. You shall teach, you shall exercise these ideas, these commands to your children. It's an ongoing thing. Speaking of them, first of all, when you sit in your house. Secondly, when you walk by the way. Thirdly, when you lie down. And four, when you rise up. Now, you'll notice here in verse 18 and also in verse 19 that we have this phrase, you shall. And then in verse 19, you shall. You'll also notice that you'll see this in verse 20. And this is uh, an emphasis that uh, Moses is asked, is applying. He's not simply saying this is a good idea. This isn't an imperative. But what it is, is Moses saying, this is a necessity. You must do this. You shall do it. He is like the father, teaching the children. This is something you shall do. This is the way you do it. And so, as we see it in verse 18, therefore you shall. Then verse 19, you shall. So Moses is saying, teaching children every time the opportunity that it arose. That's the emphasis here. Uh, You can even make opportunities to teach children. If the parents had a godly mindset, opportunities would arise every day and all the time. 
It's not just important in the morning to say something about it or maybe to join them in prayer at night, which is just fine. But there are opportunities all the day long to apply the word of God. Again, these are figures of speech. And we know this because parents were not restricted to only these four times. I said that there were four of them here. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, this is designed to sort of gather all the time. We call them merisms. But they're not restricted to just these four times. The sense is that the words of God were so important that they must be part of every action, every part of the day. Verse 20, and you shall. Here's Moses again, his emphasis. He's standing in front of the second generation. He's standing in front of Israel and he's telling them, this is something you shall do. And we'll see at the end of this chapter why it's important for you to do this. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so those are an additional additional opportunities. Verse 21. And your days and the days of your children, that your days and the days of your children, may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heaven above the earth. Like the days of heaven, heavens above the earth means that as long as the days continue and the heavens remain above the earth, God's promise would be secure. So this is how uh, they would express the promises, the enduring and eternal promises of God's promises. They would be secure. And this was not, as we see this, the days and the heavens and those over the earth. This was not contingent upon global warming or climate changing. So it didn't make any difference. God was going to keep his promises. Just a few points here before we move to 22. First of all, Israel's will to avoid this sin the sin of idolatry. And again, we're looking at Israel, but we can apply this to ourselves because we can easily be distracted from God by events in our lives, items that we want to pursue. But they had a willness, a weakness, that could only be sustained by Moses speaking to them and telling them how they are to live. Secondly, They were to fix those words in their hearts, in their minds. There are other phrases here, of course, but that means that they were to be part of their lives, hands, their brains, their minds, and then various parts of their day. Third, only by letting God's word invade every area of their lives and homes and by diligently teaching them to their children, could the nation hope to escape 
the, the seduction of false worship. And this is something that we, uh, we, we've studied and we understand that Israel departed Egypt where they had multiple idols and now they're going to enter the promised land where again they will find multiple gods. They were different than the ones in Egypt, but they're going to worship very, uh, very closely the same type of uh, of items and objects, whether it's the same, the sun, whether it's the moon, uh, whether it's uh, profit, uh, property, um, properties and productions. So we see this, but they were to teach them to their children. Otherwise, their children would, like them, go astray. And then fourth, then they would find permanent prosperity in the land the land that is promised to them, that's going to be given to them by the Lord, which was God's oath to their forefathers. So this is the reason why there needed to be this exercising and sharpening of the teaching of the word to the children. The same principle applies to Christians today. Commitment to know and obey the scripture keeps believers from contemporary forms of false worship. We're told that back in 2 Timothy 3, where the Apostle Paul says that we would be, it would be easy for us to be distracted. As a matter of fact, let's turn. It's fun to go to the New Testament as we study the Old Testament, just like it's fun to go to the Old Testament when we're studying the New Testament. So in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3, this is Paul speaking about the church age. He's saying that this is happening or it's either happening now or it will soon happen. He says, but know this, that in the last days, and this would be, he's saying, the end of the church age, but he expected the end of the church age any time because that would be the return of the Lord Jesus Christ at the rapture. So he says that these activities will happen at the end of the church age. And he believed he was living it at that time. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves in other words, they would be easily distracted by their own desires. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, the word for arrogance. They would be blasphemers. Another word for blasphemers here would be slanderers, disobedient to parents, unthankful. In other words, they would be ungrateful. And you've heard me mention this, that People today have no concept of being grateful. They just expect things to be given to them. They deserve it. That's often their attitudes. But we should be grateful for everything that God gives us. And we're told to rejoice over them. So, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders again. 
without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, in other words, reckless, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form, an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And so here is the same understanding Paul tells us. And so what we see here as we go back to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 11, as we return to this passage, we see that it's part of uh, mankind at any time. Therefore, Paul exhorted all Christians to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And we find that in Colossians Colossians 1, or excuse me, Colossians 3.16. Now, verse 22, verse 22, let's read to verse 26. Verse 22, Deuteronomy 11, verse 22. For if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, first of all, to love the Lord your God, Secondly, to walk in his ways. Now, the word for the word walk there would be to be obedient. And third, to hold fast to him. Verse 23. We started verse 22 with for if. Now, verse 23, then. If, then. First of all, the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you. Secondly, and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. Third, every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours from the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the western sea, the Mediterranean, shall be your territory. Fourth, no man shall be able to stand against you. And five, the Lord your God will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon all the land where you tread, just as he has said to you. So, verse 22. I love the way this starts because we have these if and then, these conditions. If you do this, then this, if you're obedient, if you love the Lord, if you're obedient, if you uh, are devoted, I think is another way we could say this and we'll see it, then what will the Lord do? And that's how this is understood. That's how our spiritual lives should be understood. For if you carefully keep, and the word here for keep is found twice, It's our friend Shamar, and it's the intensification of the understanding of keeping or observing or guarding. So if you Shamar and Shamar, so we take the first Shamar and we make that into an adverb. And so for if you carefully or maybe a better word I like, if you faithfully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, then there is a list given. And the list starts with 
I command you to love the Lord your God. Secondly, to walk, to obey in all his ways. And three, to hold fast, to be most of the translations, the older translations, use the word cling. Some of the translations have moved to hold fast. But I think it means to be devoted, to be loyal, to be loyal to him, to God. And if this occurs, then we have these five results, which I just read. First of all, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you. Secondly, you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. Third, every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. From the wilderness, uh, the wilderness that they would be addressing here would be that which is from whence they came. From the south, we would say. And Lebanon, so we go to Lebanon. So we have a merism. Everything from the, the uh, wilderness to the south, sometimes called the Negev, we go to the north, to Lebanon. From the river, the river Euphrates, even to the western sea, the Mediterranean, shall be your territory. Notice that's a fairly large piece of geography, but we'll see that Israel really doesn't conquer all of that territory, and there's a reason why they don't. Verse 25, no man shall be able to stand against you. Five, the Lord your God will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon all the land where you tread, just as he has said to you. All right, a few points here to explain what uh, Moses is saying. First of, point, first of all, at this point in his speech, Moses turns from the theme of longevity in the land to the successful conquest of the land. Remember, Israel is standing. They are camped on the east side of the Jordan. And they're, uh, they're not really within sight of the promised land. They will move up later, uh, closer. But Moses is describing to them about the promised land. And he's saying, if you desire to have longevity in the land, then you need to be obedient. Secondly, the people were to love the Lord. In other words, be obedient to the specific commands which were essentially expressed by their love for God. God's love for them was the example for them to love God. And they were to be consistently loyal to him, to hold fast to him, which was evidence of their love. Fourth, God's promise to Abraham is now repeated. Wherever you walk will be yours. In Genesis 13, 14. Remember in chapter 13, this is where Abraham or Abram and Lot split. There's just, their herds are too large and there is not sufficient fodder, grass, for them all to be together. Abe wanted to be close to his nephew Lot, but they need 
to split. And so in verse 14, after Lot has chosen the Jordan Valley, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also would be numbered. Verse 17, and this is the worst we really want. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I will give it to you. In other words, wherever you walk, wherever the sole of your foot touches, that land is yours. And you'll notice it doesn't say to Abram that he would have to clear it. The Lord just says that land is going to be given to your descendants. So placing the foot was an expression of dominion. You walk it, it's yours. It's now an express, it would be an expression of dominion. And I think that this is an astounding promise. Just go and I will give the land to you. Abraham didn't have to do anything else. He didn't, didn't say, take stakes with you and stake it out. He says, just walk. Wherever you walk, it's yours. Five, in return for the obedience, the Lord would grant Israel's supernatural success against superior, in other words, larger and stronger enemy armies. Six, he would put a terror and fear in their enemies so that they would not fight successfully against Israel. Let's turn to Exodus 23. Exodus 23. This is one of those passages that is very often difficulty for theologians to understand. Exodus 23:27. This is the Lord speaking to Israel. Moses telling them this, the Lord says, I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. In other words, they're going to run from them. Verse 28, and I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite before you. And that's far enough for us to go. So, uh, there's going to be fear. And there are those who immediately take this and say, well, there was a lot of hornets. And there was a lot of bees in the land. I don't think that's what this is saying. This was if someone was working in their field and they, uncount, they uncovered, uncovered a nest of hornets, of hornets, what would happen? Huh. They would vacate the area until the hornets would demonstrate a little more calm, tranquility. And so that's what this is teaching here. It's not that there was going to be a lot of hornets flying around. It simply means that it would be that type of, tr- of dread. They would run. 
so that they could avoid Israel. We also have uh, Rahab's word to the the reconnaissance team that came to her, said, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. And that's Joshua 2, 9. So these are just examples of the, this fear. Point eight, notice, had Israel continued to obey God faithfully, her boundaries would have been enlarged, which I just mentioned to us. It would uh, had been enlarged to fulfill the promise made to Abraham from, F, uh, from the Euphrates to the Mediterranean. But because of Israel's disobedience, the fulfillment of the whole land promise is still future. Uh, they will eventually have this land, but they simply don't have it now. All right, verse 26. Verse 26 through 32. And this is the last part that we have here, the last line on our our PowerPoint slide, the blessings and the curses on Ebal and Mount Zerizim. Now, if you studied Exodus with me, then these mountains would sound at least familiar. But what do they represent and why are they important? And that's what we're going to discuss now. Verse 26. Verse 26, back in Deuteronomy. We always have to go back. Verse 26. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. So we have options. Blessing or curse. 27. The blessing... If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I commanded you today to go after other gods, which you have not known. So there we have it. The two, the two options, either blessing or cursing. Verse 29. Now it shall be. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land which you go to possess, that you shall put the blessings on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. All right, we're going to have to work on that. But let me finish this section. Are they not on the other side of the Jordan toward the setting sun? In other words, towards the Mediterranean. They're on the other side of the Jordan. And I like the way Moses connects these verses. He says, you're going to go to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Where are they? They're on the other side of the river. So what does that tell them? That tells them they are going to cross the river. And you may remember the first part of Joshua the river is at flood stages. How are they going to get arrive? Well, God doesn't tell them, but they're going to be on the other side of the river. Are they not on the other side of the Jordan toward the setting sign in the land of the Canaanites who dwell in the plain opposite Gilgal beside the terebinth tree of Merah? And 
Verse 31, For you will cross over the Jordan and go to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you will possess it and dwell in it, and you shall be careful. Here we are again. Careful to observe. Shamar. You shall keep. You shall be careful to observe, to do all the statutes and judgments which I set before you. Okay. Verse 26. Verse 26. Behold, I set before you today, and we'll see the word today used several more times in this section. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. In other words, you have a choice. The word today is repeated in the next two verses and then in verse 32. And I think Moses uses the word today in this way, meaning it's a promise It's a promise or it's a warning that the second generation has been informed by God's promise. If they do not obey, then there will be no excuse. So Moses keeps saying, you have heard this today. Behold, I set before you today. Verse 27, the blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, you're hearing this. It's before you, verse 28. And the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today, which I commanded you today, they should know this. There's no uh, reason for them not to know. To go after other gods which you have not known. So the choice was to be blessed or to be cursed, to be judged we see the verse cursed, we see judgment. Israel had a choice. They had the, they as the exodent generation, excuse me, the second generation has as their example the exodus, the generation that came before them. A cursing from God would not be pleasant. Let's continue on here in verse 29. Now, It shall be. We return to that phrase. Moses saying, it shall be. Now it shall be when the Lord your God has brought you into the land which you go to possess, that you shall put the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Now, what I'd like to do is turn to chapter 27 in Deuteronomy. And this is where we're actually going to see that event. So if you've got a a marker there, you can put that in Deuteronomy 11. But let's turn to Deuteronomy 27. And we're going to begin verse 11. Verse 11, Deuteronomy 27. And Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, So this is another day. But it's the same day that he has been speaking to them previous to, previously. These, uh, these shall stand on the mountain of Gerizim to bless the people. Now, what we're going to see when he says these people, he's looking at certain tribes that they'll be on Mount Gerizim, and he's looking at other tribes to be on Mount Eblah. Uh, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you have crossed over the Jordan. Who are they? 
Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on the, on Mount Elbo to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. Now there's no, um, association of blessing with certain tribes and judgment or cursings with them. They just split them. Verse 14. So we have them on these two mountains. And the Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, Cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsman, and sets it up in secret. All right. In verse 15, we actually start the curses. And the curses are not all, but it's an example of what they were going to say. So the Levites are going to speak. And these these are the mount uh, the ones on Mountain Ebal. All right. So the first one is in verse 15. And after we read verse 15, what do the people say? And all the people shall, shall answer and say, Amen. Now, these are the, the tribes that aren't evil. They say, Amen. Not all of the people. Verse 16. Cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt. And all the people shall say, Amen. 17. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark. And all the people say, Amen. Now you may say, that sounds rather minor to move a marker. But the land that God gave to each tribe was to remain with them and to every family so that the property would never leave those families. And so if someone was moving them, it was really, it was a significant disobedience towards God because God had designated those boundaries. Verse 18, Cursed be the one who makes the blind to wander off the road. And all the people said, uh, shall say, Amen. 19, Cursed is the one who perverts the justice. Just do the the stranger, the fatherless, and widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife, because he has uncovered his father's bed, and all the people shall say, Amen. Verse 21, Cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. 26. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. Now, You might say, why did we go through this? It's because the people are, in fact, committed them, committing themselves to what God has told them. 
And they say that by saying amen. Amen has the sense of meaning it is true. So now they would go through the same with the the tribes on the mountain Gerizim. We simply don't have it here. It's not listed for us. Uh, as a matter of fact, the I like the f- the footnote here in Deuteronomy 20, uh, 27, verse 11. It says, During the covenant renewal ceremony with the second generation of Israel, the Lord uses the t- topography of the land for dramatic visual effect. Mount Ebal, because of the topographical and climactic conditions is normally a barren peat. Now, peak. Now, when you visit Israel, this is sort of interesting. These two uh, mountains are really very close. And so when Israel walked up there after they crossed the land, they could actually stand and the tribes would face each other and the Levites would be down between them. And they could speak to the entire people of Israel. And as they said these curses, or there was a list of blessings, the people would respond to it. And so it's as if they were, in fact, committing themselves to what the Levites were saying, the curses that God had given to them. So it says... uh, Mount Ebal was uh, normally a barren peak, while Mount Gerizim is usually covered with vegetation. Consequently, Mount Ebal was an ideal place for the curses to be recited, and Mount Gerizim was suitable to the blessing. So this is what we are seeing here in Deuteronomy, not only in 27, but it's mentioned in chapter 11. So let's return to verse 11. Chapter 11, verse 29 says, And it shall be when the Lord your God has brought you into the land, which you go to possess, and you shall put the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. So that's what that means here. So what does this mean? God will use topography to teach blessings and cursings. Verse 30. Are they, the mountains, not on the other side of the Jordan, toward the setting sun, towards the Mediterranean, in the land of the Canaanites, who dwell in the plain opposite Gilgal, beside the terebinth tree, trees of Morah? And the answer is, yes. Yes, they are. That's where they are. And you'll notice here, that Mora was the location where Abraham built a altar when he first entered the land. Verse 31 and 32. For you will. We've seen you shall, you shall, and now, and you will cross over the Jordan, uh, the Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And you will possess it and dwell in it. Will they? Moses is saying, yes, you will. It's the force of his presentation. Verse 32, and you shall be careful. You shall careful or faithfully to observe all the statutes and judgments 
which I set before you today. In other words, you've heard it. I've given it to you. I have nothing more to say. You got it all today is sort of what he's saying. So as we conclude here, Moses speaks forcefully. You shall and you will, indicating that there is no other option as far as Moses is concerned. You are either going to be faithful, obedient, or you're going to be unfaithful, disobedient. Moses will not be with them, but he is mandating, he is mandating obedience to the second generation. Again, as far as Moses is concerned, they will do what God tells them to do. Now, why do we have this in such detail? Why would we, Moses, record this? Why would God the Holy Spirit desire for us to have this in such detail? Well, it's because the application for us is the same. And the more we understand it in detail, the more it can be applied by us. Obedience brings blessing, and spiritual failure brings discipline. We have the same choices, and we often make the same decisions. Paul tells us that Israel is our example. We have to know about Israel if it's going to be an effective example. Therefore, I say, let's choose blessings. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this passage. We're thankful for Moses, his directness, his forcefulness, teaching the second generation. And we know that it's going to be effective because they will cross the Jordan and they will conquer the land and they will be blessed because of it. Father, we ask for your blessing upon us when we are faithful. How do we have those blessings? By being faithful. Help us to be obedient. Help us to know the word of God so we know what to do, how to do it. And we pray that we would be faithful so that we might, in fact, be blessed again as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.